Sleep well tonight. The 185th Semi-Annual General Conference of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. From the Conference Center at Temple Square in Salt Lake City, this is the Sunday afternoon session of the 185th Semi-Annual General Conference of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, with speakers selected from the general authorities and general officers of the church. Music for this session is provided by the Mormon Tabernacle Choir. This broadcast is furnished as a public service by Bonneville Distribution. Any reproduction, recording, transcription, or other use of this program without written consent is prohibited. President Henry B. Eyring, First Counselor in the First Presidency of the Church, will conduct this session. Brothers and sisters, we welcome you to the Sunday afternoon session of the 185th Semiannual General Conference of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. President Thomas S. Monson, who presides at the conference, has asked that I conduct this session. The music for this session will be provided by the Mormon Tabernacle Choir under the direction of Mac Wilberg and Ryan Murphy, with Bonnie Goodliffe and Linda Margetts at the organ. The choir will open this meeting by singing, Praise the Lord with heart and voice. The invocation will then be offered by Elder Jorg Klimengott of the Seventy, and the choir will sing, Our God is a God of love.
Dear Father in heaven, we are still marveling about the manner in which we saw the vacancies in the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles filled yesterday. The quiet dignity that surrounded these proceedings. And we ask, where else does it happen in the way it happens in thy true Church? And dear Father, we're so grateful for these three wonderful men whom thou hast prepared. And those of us, of course, who know them know that thou hast chosen wisely. And we pray humbly for thy blessings to be with them and their families and for the hearts of the membership of the Church the world over to be touched, that they may also know that these are thy newly chosen apostles. Father, we also give thanks for our beloved prophet, President Thomas S. Munson, who has been wearing out his life for decades now on thy errand. Wilt thou please bless and sustain him? We know that there cannot be true worship or even true religion without communication from Thee. And therefore, we are so grateful that we sit at the feet of apostles and prophets in these latter days. Bless us with the wisdom to keep our eyes first on our Savior Jesus Christ and then on His chosen servants so that we may know the voice and where to go. Father, we ask Thy blessings upon the speakers and a blessing of thy Spirit upon all of us. May we feel thy Spirit, and may we then go forth with the determination to close the gap between what we know and what we feel and what we're actually doing and becoming, that we may do all of that and willingly endure to the end, but more importantly, enjoy to the end in this thy wonderful gospel. In this we humbly pray, in the name of thy Holy Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.
We will now be pleased to hear from Elder D. Todd Christofferson of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles. He will be followed by Brother Devin G. Durant, who was sustained yesterday as First Counselor in the Sunday School General Presidency. Following Brother Durant, we will hear from Elder Vaughn G. Keach of the Seventy and Sister Carol M. Stevens, First Counselor in the Relief Society General Presidency. Throughout my life, general conferences of the Church have been exhilarating spiritual events, and the Church itself has been a place to come to know the Lord. I realize that there are those who consider themselves religious or spiritual and yet reject participation in a Church or even the need for such an institution. Religious practice is for them purely personal. Yet the Church is the creation of Him who, in whom our spirituality is centered, Jesus Christ. It's worth pausing to consider why He chooses to use a Church, His Church, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, to carry out His and His Father's work to bring to pass the immortality and eternal life of man. Beginning with Adam, the gospel of Jesus Christ was preached and the essential ordinances of salvation, such as baptism, were administered through a family-based priesthood order. As societies grew more complex than simply extended families, God also called other prophets, messengers, and teachers. In Moses' time, we read of a more formal structure, including elders, priests, and judges. In Book of Mormon history, Alma established a church with priests and teachers. Then, in the meridian of time, Jesus organized His work in such a way that the gospel could be established simultaneously in multiple nations and among diverse peoples. That organization, the Church of Jesus Christ, was founded on apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ Himself being the chief cornerstone. It included additional officers such as Seventies, elders, bishops, priests, teachers, and deacons. Jesus similarly established the Church in the Western Hemisphere after His resurrection. Following the apostasy and disintegration of the Church He had organized while on the earth, the Lord reestablished the Church of Jesus Christ once again through the Prophet Joseph Smith. The ancient purpose remains, that is, to preach the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ and administer the ordinances of salvation. In other words, to bring people to Christ. And now, through the instrumentality of this restored Church, the promise of redemption is placed within reach even of the spirits of the dead, who in their mortal lifetime knew little or nothing of the Savior's grace. How does His Church accomplish the Lord's purposes? It's important to recognize that God's ultimate purpose is our progress. His desire is that we continue from grace to grace until we receive a fullness of all He can give. That requires more than simply being nice or feeling spiritual. 
It requires faith in Jesus Christ, repentance, baptism of water and of the Spirit, and enduring in faith to the end. One cannot fully achieve this in isolation. So a major reason the Lord has a Church is to create a community of saints that will sustain one another in the straight and narrow path that leads to eternal life. And Christ gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Jesus Christ is the author and the finisher of our faith. Uniting ourselves to the body of Christ, the Church, is an important part of taking His name upon us. We are told that the ancient Church did meet together oft to fast and to pray and to speak one with another concerning the welfare of their souls and to hear the word of the Lord. So it is in the Church today. Joined in faith, we teach and edify one another and strive to approach the full measure of discipleship, the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. We strive to help one another come to the knowledge of the Son of God until that day when they shall teach no more every man his neighbor, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them unto the greatest of them, saith the Lord. In the Church, we not only learn divine doctrine, we experience its application. As the body of Christ, the members of the Church minister to one another in the reality of day-to-day life. All of us are imperfect. We may offend or be offended. We often test one another with our personal idiosyncrasies, or as President Packer put it, our personal idiotsyncrasies. <laughs> In the body of Christ, we have to go beyond concepts and exalted words and have a real hands-on experience as we live together in love. This religion is not concerned only with self. Rather, we are all called to serve. We are the eyes, hands, head, feet, and other members of the body of Christ. And even those members which seem to be more feeble are necessary. We need these callings, and we need to serve. One of the men in my ward grew up not only without parental support, but with parental opposition to his activity in the Church. He made this observation in a sacrament meeting. My father cannot understand why anyone would go to Church when they could go skiing. But I really like going to Church. In the Church, we are all on the same journey, and I am inspired in that journey by strong youth, pure children, and what I see and learn from other adults. I am strengthened by the association and excited with the joy of living the gospel. The wards and branches of the Church offer a weekly gathering of respite and renewal, a time and a place to leave the world behind, the Sabbath. It's a day to delight thyself in the Lord, to experience the spiritual healing that comes with the sacrament, and to receive the renewed promise of His Spirit to be with us. 
One of the greatest blessings of being part of the body of Christ, though it may not seem like a blessing in the moment, is being reproved of sin and error. We're prone to excuse and rationalize our faults, and sometimes we simply do not know where we should improve or how to do it. Without those who can reprove us betimes with sharpness when moved upon by the Holy Ghost, we might lack the courage to change and more perfectly follow the Master. Repentance is individual, but fellowship on that sometimes painful path is in the Church. In this discussion of the Church as the body of Christ, we must always bear in mind two things. One, we do not strive for conversion to the Church, but to Christ and His gospel, a conversion that is facilitated by the Church. The Book of Mormon expresses it best when it says that the people were converted unto the Lord and were united unto the Church of Christ. Two, we must remember that in the beginning the Church was the family, and even today as separate institutions the family and the Church serve and strengthen one another. Neither supplants the other, and certainly the Church, even at its best, cannot substitute for parents. The point of gospel teaching and priesthood ordinances administered by the Church is that families may qualify for eternal life. There is a second major reason the Savior works through a Church, His Church, and that is to achieve needful things that cannot be accomplished by individuals or smaller groups. One clear example is dealing with poverty. It's true that as individuals and families we look after the physical needs of others, imparting to one another, both temporally and spiritually, according to their needs and their wants. But together in the Church, the ability to care for the poor and needy is multiplied to meet the broader need, and hoped-for self-reliance is made a reality for very many. Further, the Church, its relief societies, and its priesthood quorums have the capacity to provide relief to many people in many places affected by natural disasters, war, and persecution. Without the capabilities of His Church in place, the Savior's commission to take the gospel to all the world would not, could not be realized. There would not be the apostolic keys, the structure, the financial means, and the devotion and sacrifice of thousands upon thousands of missionaries needed to carry out the work. Remember, this gospel of the kingdom must be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. The Church can build and operate temples, houses of the Lord, where vital ordinances and covenants may be administered. Joseph Smith stated that God's objective in gathering His people in any age is, quote, to build unto the Lord a house whereby He can reveal unto His people the ordinances of His house and the glories of His kingdom, and teach the people the way of salvation. For there are certain ordinances and principles that, when they are taught and practiced, must be done in a place or house built for that purpose, unquote. If one believes that all roads lead to heaven, 
or that there are no particular requirements for salvation, he or she will see no need for proclaiming the gospel or for ordinances and covenants in redeeming either the living or the dead. But we speak not just of immortality, but also of eternal life. And for that, the gospel path and gospel covenants are essential. And a Savior needs a Church to make them available to all of God's children, both the living and the dead. The final reason I'll mention for the Lord to have established His Church is the most unique. The Church is, after all, the kingdom of God on the earth. As the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints was being established in the 1830s, the Lord said to the Prophet Joseph Smith, Lift up your hearts and rejoice, for unto you the kingdom, or in other words, the keys of the Church, have been given. In the authority of these keys, the Church's priesthood officers preserve the purity of the Savior's doctrine and the integrity of His saving ordinances. They help prepare those who wish to receive them, judge the qualification and worthiness of those who apply, and then perform them. With the keys of the kingdom, the Lord's servants can identify both truth and falsehood and once again authoritatively state, Thus saith the Lord. Regrettably, some resent the Church because they want to define their own truth. But in reality, it is a surpassing blessing to receive a knowledge of things as they truly are and as they were and as they are to come, insofar as the Lord wills to reveal it. The Church safeguards and publishes God's revelations, which constitute the canon of Scripture. When Daniel interpreted the dream of Babylonian King Nebuchadnezzar, making known to the king what shall be in the latter days, he declared that the God of heaven shall set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed, and the kingdom shall not be left to other people, but it shall break in pieces and consume all other kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. The Church is that prophesied latter-day kingdom, not created by man, but set up by the God of heaven and rolling forth as a stone cut out of the mountain without hands to fill the earth. Its destiny is to establish Zion in preparation for the return and millennial rule of Jesus Christ. Before that day, it will not be a kingdom in any political sense. As the Savior said, My kingdom is not of this world. Rather, it is the repository of His authority in the earth the administrator of His holy covenants, the custodian of His temples, the protector and proclaimer of His truth, the gathering place for scattered Israel, and a defense and a refuge from the storm and from wrath when it shall be poured out without mixture upon the whole earth. I end with the prophet's plea and prayer. Call upon the Lord that His kingdom may go forth upon the earth, that the inhabitants thereof may receive it, and be prepared for the days to come, in the which the Son of Man shall come down in heaven clothed in the brightness of His glory to meet the kingdom of God which is set up on the earth. Wherefore, may the kingdom of God go forth, that the kingdom of heaven may come. 
that Thou, O God, mayest be glorified in heaven, so on earth, that Thine enemies may be subdued. For Thine is the honor, power, and glory forever and ever. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. By profession, I am an investor. By faith, I am a disciple of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. In my business practices, I embrace sound financial principles. As I live my faith, I strive to follow spiritual principles that will help me become more like the Savior. Many of the personal rewards I have received in life have come as a result of someone inviting me to do a difficult task. In that spirit, I would like to extend to each of you two invitations. The first has financial implications. With the second invitation, the implications are spiritual. Both invitations, if accepted, will require disciplined effort over an extended period of time to reap the rewards. The first invitation is simple. I invite you to save money each week. The amount you save is not particularly significant. That is up to you. As you develop a habit of saving, you will benefit personally. And you may also have opportunities to assist others financially as a result of your diligence. Imagine the positive outcome of saving money weekly for six months, a year, ten years or more. Small efforts sustained over time can produce significant results. My second invitation is quite different from and much more important than the first. It is this. I invite you to ponderize one verse of scripture each week. The word ponderize is not found in the dictionary, but it has found a place in my heart. So what does it mean to ponderize? I like to say it's a combination of 80% extended pondering and 20% memorization. There are two simple steps. First, choose a verse of scripture each week and place it where you will see it every day. Second, read or think of the verse several times each day and ponder the meaning of its words and key phrases throughout the week. Imagine the uplifting results of doing this weekly for six months, a year, ten years, or more. As you make this effort, you will feel an increase in spirituality. You will also be able to teach and lift those you love in more meaningful ways. If you choose to ponderize weekly, you may feel a bit like a person who has enjoyed snorkeling in the past but has now decided to try scuba diving. With that decision, a deeper understanding of gospel principles will be yours and new spiritual perspectives will bless your life. As you reflect on your selected verse each week, words and phrases will be written on your heart. Words and phrases will also be written on your mind. In other words, memorization will take place easily and naturally. But the primary goal of ponderizing is to provide an uplifting place for your thoughts to go, a place that keeps you close to the Spirit of the Lord. The Savior said, Treasure up in your minds continually the words of life. Ponderizing is a simple and edifying way to do just that. I believe Nephi was a ponderizer. He said, My soul delighteth in the scriptures, and my heart pondereth them continually, and writeth them for the learning and the profit of my children. He was mindful of his children as he pondered and wrote the scriptures. How might your family benefit as you continually strive to fill your mind with God's words? Recently, I ponderized Alma 5.16. It reads, I say unto you, can you imagine to yourselves that ye hear the voice of the Lord saying unto you in that day, Come unto me, ye blessed, for behold, your works have been the works of righteousness upon the face of the earth.
At the end of the week, this is what ended up being written on my mind. Imagine hearing the voice of the Lord saying, Come unto me, ye blessed, for behold, your works have been the works of righteousness. Alma 5.16 As you can see, I didn't memorize the entire verse word for word. However, I pondered time and time again the key elements of the verse and where to find it. But the best part of the process was I had a higher place for my thoughts to go. Throughout the week, I pictured the Savior saying encouraging words to me. That image touched my heart and served to inspire me to want to do works of righteousness. That is what can happen when we look unto Christ in every thought. You might ask, why should I do this? I would answer that we are living in a time of ever-spreading evil. We cannot just accept the status quo and be fed ugly words and sinful visuals almost everywhere we turn and do nothing in response. We must fight back. When our minds are filled with uplifting thoughts and images, when we always remember Him, there is no room left for filth and trash. In the Book of Mormon, Jesus Christ invites all to ponder upon the things which He has said. Look at ponderizing as an add-on to your personal and family scripture study, but never let it be a replacement. Ponderizing is somewhat like adding a new time-release vitamin to your current spiritual diet. You might say, ponderizing sounds too hard for me. Don't be deterred. Hard can be good. Christ invites us to do many hard things because He knows we will be blessed as a result of our efforts. A young neighbor of ours found a simple way to ponderize. He puts his weekly scripture on the home screen of his phone. Another idea you might try is sharing your verse with a sibling, a child, or a friend. My wife Julie and I help each other. We choose our verses each Sunday. She puts hers on our fridge. I place mine in my truck. We then share thoughts about our verses throughout the week. We also like to discuss our verses with our children. And as we do, it seems to make it more comfortable for them to share their thoughts with us about the Word of God. Julie and I are also part of an online group in which family members, friends, and missionaries can share their scripture each week and occasionally include a related thought or testimony. My high school daughter and a group of her friends use social media and text messaging to share scriptures with each other. Please don't hesitate to include people of other faiths in your groups. They are also looking for ways to elevate their thoughts and to feel closer to God. So what are the benefits? Julie and I have been ponderizing a verse a week for more than three years now. Initially, we set a 20-year goal. She told me recently, When you first invited me to ponderize a scripture every week for 20 years, I wondered if I could do it for a month. I don't have those doubts anymore. I can't believe how fun it has been to put a scripture on the fridge each week and just by ponderizing it each time I see it, it lifts my spirit. Close quote. After ponderizing for six weeks, a sister from Texas said, My testimony has been strengthened and I have felt closer to my Heavenly Father. I love how the Word of God is changing me for the better. A teenage friend wrote, I've really enjoyed being able to ponderize because it's helped me to focus on things that are actually important. One of our missionaries shared this, I have been ponderizing a verse every week since June 2014, and I love it. These scriptures have become like friends that I can rely on in times of need. In my case, I feel the Spirit more fully as I ponderize weekly. My love of the scriptures has also increased as a result of striving to let virtue garnish my thoughts unceasingly. Consider this invitation and supreme blessing shared by Nephi. If you shall press forward, feasting upon the word of Christ, and endure to the end, behold, thus saith the Father, ye shall have eternal life. In the spirit of feasting upon the word of Christ, ponderizing is like taking a bite of delicious food and then chewing very, very slowly. 
in order to enjoy it to its fullest. Will you ponderize a verse of scripture each week for the rest of this month? For the rest of this year, longer maybe? Julie and I invited all our valiant Texas Dallas missionaries to ponderize with us for 20 years. We'll cross the finish line together in 17 short years. Then we'll set a new goal to elevate our thoughts and bring us closer to Christ. You can check on us by asking, what's your verse? But if you do, be prepared to share your scripture in return. Each of us will be uplifted as a result of our exchange. Can you imagine how your life and your family's life will be changed if you write a new verse of scripture on your heart and mind every week for the next few months or a few years or longer? Jesus Christ must have developed a love for the scriptures at an early age. He must have been reading and pondering the scriptures as a young child in order to have meaningful discussions with the wise doctors in the temple at age 12. He began his mission at age 30 and he referenced the scriptures early and often throughout his ministry. Can we not safely say that Jesus spent at least 20 years studying and pondering the scriptures as part of his mission preparation? Is there something you need to be doing today to prepare yourself for spiritual for sp- prepare yourself spiritually for future opportunities to teach and bless your family and others. In review, I hope you will decide to save money each week, exercise your faith, discipline yourself, and do it. I also sincerely pray you will choose to ponder God's words in an extended and deeper manner on a weekly basis. Exercise your faith, discipline yourself, and do it. Unlike my first money-saving invitation, all the benefits of my second soul-saving invitation will be yours to keep forever, free from the moths and rust of this world. Elder D. Todd Christofferson offered this clear counsel and promise. Study the scriptures carefully, deliberately. Ponder and pray over them. Scriptures are revelation, and they will bring added revelation. I promise you will not regret writing a verse of scripture on your mind and heart each week. You will experience a feeling of perpetual spiritual purpose, protection, and power. Remember the words of Jesus Christ when he said, Do the things which ye have seen me do. May we fully apply his words in our lives, I so pray, in the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Amen. Some time ago, while visiting Australia, I traveled to a beautiful horseshoe bay renowned for its surfing. As I walked along the beach, I was enthralled by the magnificence of the large crashing waves breaking just outside the bay and the smaller waves rolling in closer to the shore. As I continued my stroll, I encountered a group of American surfers. They were obviously upset about something, talking loudly and gesturing towards the sea. When I asked them what was wrong, they pointed to just outside the bay where the big waves were breaking. Look out there, one of them angrily told me. Can you see the barrier? Looking more closely now, I could indeed see a barrier stretching across the entire mouth of the bay right where the large enticing waves were breaking. The barrier appeared to be made of a heavy mesh and was supported by floats on top of the water. According to the surfers, it dropped all the way down to the ocean floor. The American surfer continued, We are here on a -a once-in-a-lifetime trip to surf these big waves. We can surf the smaller ones, breaking within the bay itself, but the barrier makes it impossible for us to surf the big ones. 
We have no idea why the barrier is there. All we know is that it has totally spoiled our trip. As the American surfers became more animated, my attention was drawn to another nearby surfer, an older man and obviously a local. He seemed to be growing impatient as he listened to the ever-increasing complaints about the barrier. Finally, he rose and walked over to the group. Without saying anything, he pulled a pair of binoculars from his backpack and handed them to one of the surfers, pointing out towards the barrier. Each of the surfers looked through the binoculars. When my turn came, with the help of magnification, I could see something that I had not been able to see before. Dorsal fins. Large sharks feeding near the reef on the other side of the barrier. The group quickly became subdued. The old surfer retrieved his binoculars and turned to walk away. As he did, he said words I will never forget. Don't be too critical of the barrier, he said. It's the only thing that's keeping you from being devoured. Standing on that beautiful beach, our perspective had suddenly changed. A barrier that had seemed rigid and restrictive, that seemed to curtail the fun and excitement of riding the really big waves, had become something very different. With our new understanding of the danger that lurked just below the surface, the barrier now offered protection, safety, and peace. As you and I walk the paths of life and pursue our dreams, God's commands and standards, like the barrier, can sometimes be difficult to understand. They may appear rigid and unyielding, blocking a path that looks fun and exciting and that is being followed by so many others. As the Apostle Paul described, we see through a glass darkly with such a limited perspective that we often cannot comprehend the great dangers hidden just below the surface. But he who comprehends all things knows exactly where those dangers lie. He gives us divine direction through his commands and loving guidance so that, he may, so that we may avoid the dangers, so that we may set a course in our lives that is protected from spiritual predators and the gaping jaws of sin. We show our love for God and our faith in him by doing our very best every day to follow the course that he has laid out for us and by keeping the commandments that he has given to us. We especially manifest that faith and love in situations where we don't fully understand the reason for God's command or the particular path he is telling us to take. It is relatively easy to follow a course inside the barrier once we know that there are sharp-toothed predators swarming just outside of it. It is more difficult to keep our course within the barrier when all we can see are thrilling and tantalizing waves on the other side. And yet it is in those times, times when we choose to exercise our faith, put our trust in God, and show our love to him, that we grow and gain the most. In the New Testament, Ananias could not comprehend the Lord's command to seek out and bless Saul, a man who literally had a license 
to imprison the believers of Christ. Yet because he obeyed God's command, Ananias was instrumental in the spiritual birth of the Apostle Paul. As we trust in the Lord, exercise our faith, obey his commandments, and follow the course he has charted for us, we become more the person the Lord wants us to become. It is this becoming, this conversion of the heart, that is all important. As Elder Dallin H. Oaks has taught us, quote, It is not enough for anyone just to go through the motions. The commandments, ordinances, and covenants of the gospel are not a list of deposits required to be made in some heavenly account. The gospel of Jesus Christ is a plan that shows us how to become what our Heavenly Father desires us to become. Close quote. True obedience, therefore, is giving ourselves entirely to Him and allowing Him to chart our course, both in calm waters and in troubled ones, understanding that He can make more of us than we could ever make of ourselves. As we submit ourselves to His will, we increase in peace and happiness. King Benjamin taught that those who keep the commands of God are blessed and happy in all things, both temporal and spiritual. God wants us to have joy. He wants us to have peace. He wants us to succeed. He wants us to be safe and to be protected from the worldly influences all around us. Put another way, the Lord's commands do not constitute some grueling underwater maze of barriers that we must learn to grudgingly endure in this life so that we might be exalted in the next. Rather, the barriers established by the Lord create for us a safe harbor from the evil and destructive influences that would otherwise drag us down to the depths of despair. The Lord's commandments are given out of love and caring. They are intended for our joy in this life just as much as they are intended for our joy and exaltation in the next. They mark the way that we should act, and more importantly, they illuminate who we should become. As in all things good and true, Jesus Christ stands as the best example. The greatest act of obedience in all of eternity occurred when the Son submitted himself to the will of the Father, asking in deepest humility that the cup might be removed, that he might travel some other course than the one that had been marked for him. Christ submitted himself to the path that his Father wanted him to take. It was a path that led through Gethsemane and Golgotha, where he endured unimaginable agony and suffering and where he was totally forsaken as his father's spirit withdrew. But that same path culminated in an empty tomb on the third day with cries of he is risen ringing in the ears and hearts of those who loved him. It included unimaginable joy and comfort centered in his atonement for all of God's children throughout eternity. 
by allowing his will to be swallowed up by the Father's, Christ gave us the prospect of eternal peace, eternal joy, and eternal life. I testify that we are children of a loving God. I witness that he wants us to be happy and safe and blessed. To that end, he has charted for us a course leading back to him, and he has established barriers that will protect us along the way. As we do our best to follow that course, we find true safety, happiness, and peace. And as we submit to his will, we become what he wants us to become. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. When our oldest daughter, Jen, brought her third daughter home from the hospital, I went to her home to help. After getting her oldest daughter off to school, we decided what Jen needed most was rest. So the best help I could give was to take her daughter, Chloe, home with me so her mom and new baby sister could have some quiet time. I buckled Chloe into her car seat, secured my own seat belt, and drove out of their driveway. However, before we reached the end of the street, Chloe had unbuckled her seatbelt and was standing up looking over my shoulder talking to me. I pulled the car over to the side of the road, got out, and buckled her back into her seat. We started again, but had only gone a short distance when she was out of her seat again. I repeated the same steps, but this time, before I could even get back into the car and fasten my own seatbelt, Chloe was already standing up. I found myself sitting in a car parked on the side of the road having a power struggle with a three-year-old, and she was winning. (laughs) I used every idea I could think of to convince her that remaining fastened in her car seat was a good idea. She was not convinced. I finally decided to try the if-then approach. I said, Chloe, if you will stay buckled in your car seat— Then as soon as we get to Grandma's house, we can play with Play-Doh. No response. Chloe, if you stay buckled in your seatbelt, then we can make bread when we get to Grandma's house. No response. I tried again. Chloe, if you will stay buckled in your seat, then we can stop at the market for a treat. After three attempts, I realized this was a futile exercise. She was determined, and no amount of if-then was enough to convince her to remain fastened in her seat. We couldn't spend the day sitting on the edge of the road, but I wanted to be obedient to the law, and it wasn't safe to drive with Chloe standing up. I offered a silent prayer and heard the Spirit whisper, Teach her. I turned to face her and pulled my seatbelt away from my body so she could see it. I said, Chloe, I'm wearing this seatbelt because it will protect me. But you aren't wearing your seatbelt, and you won't be safe. And I will be so sad if you get hurt. She looked at me. I could almost see the little wheels spinning in her mind as I waited anxiously for her response. Finally, her big blue eyes brightened, and she said, Grandma, you want me to wear my seatbelt because you love me. The Spirit filled the car as I expressed my love for this precious little girl. I didn't want to lose that feeling, but I knew I had an opportunity, so I got out 
and secured her in her car seat again. Then I asked Chloe, Will you please stay in your car seat? And she did, all the way to the market for a treat. <laughs> and, she, and she stayed buckled all the way from the market to my home where we made bread and played with Play-Doh because Chloe did not forget. <laughs> As I drove back onto the road that day, a scripture filled my mind. If ye love me, keep my commandments. We have rules to teach, guide, and protect children. Why? Because of the great love we have for them. But until Chloe understood that my desire for her to remain securely fastened in her car seat was because of my love for her, she was unwilling to submit to what she considered a restriction. She felt her seatbelt limited her freedom. Like Chloe, we can choose to see commandments as limitations. We may feel at times that God's laws restrict our personal freedom, take from us our agency, and limit our growth. But as we seek for greater understanding, as we allow our Father to teach us, we will begin to see that His laws are a manifestation of His love for us, and obedience to His laws is an expression of our love for Him. If you find yourself figuratively parked on the side of the road, can I suggest a few principles that, if followed, will help you get safely back on the road of faith and obedience? First, trust God. Trust in His eternal plan for you. Each of you is a beloved spirit, son, or daughter of heavenly parents. Their love for us is apparent in commandments. Commandments are vital instructions to teach, guide, and protect us as we gain earthly experience. In the premortal realm, we used our agency to accept God's plan, and we learned that obedience to God's eternal law was vital to our success in His plan. Scriptures teach there is a law, irrevocably decreed in heaven before the foundations of this world, upon which all blessings are predicated. If we obey the law, we receive the blessings. Even with all the mistakes, opposition, and learning that accompany our mortal experience, God never loses sight of our eternal potential, even when we do. We can trust Him because God wants His children back, and He has provided a way through the Atonement of His Son, Jesus Christ, The Atonement is the core of the plan of salvation. Second, trust Jesus. The ultimate expression of obedience and love is the Atonement of Jesus Christ. Submitting Himself to the Father's will, He gave His life for us. He said, If ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love, even as I have kept the Father's commandments and abide in His love. Jesus also taught, Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment, and the second is likened to it, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Each Sunday we have the opportunity to ponder and remember our Savior's pure love as we partake of the emblems of His infinite Atonement. During the sacrament, I watch as hands and arms extend to pass the bread and water, and as I extend my arm to partake, 
I covenant that I am willing to take his name upon me, to always remember him and keep his commandments. And he promises that we may always have his spirit to be with us. Third, trust the whisperings of the spirit. Remember during my experience with Chloe that the spirit whispered a scripture to me? It's in John chapter 14, verse 15. If ye love me, keep my commandments. And these important verses follow. I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom, you, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but ye know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. Every worthy, confirmed member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints has the right to the companionship of the Holy Ghost. Fasting, prayer, scripture study, and obedience greatly enhance our ability to hear and feel the promptings of the Spirit. When your mind is filled with doubt and confusion, the Father and the Son will send the Holy Ghost to warn you and guide you safely through the dangers of this mortal journey. He will help you, re- help you remember, comfort you, and fill you with hope and perfect love. Fourth, trust the counsel of living prophets. Our Father has provided a way for us to hear His word and know His law through His prophets. The Lord declared, My word shall all be fulfilled. Whether by mine own voice or by the voice of my servants, it is the same. Recently, living prophets have counseled us to remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy and to live the law of the fast. Obedience to this prophetic counsel provides a way for us to be obedient to God's commandment to love Him and our neighbor as we increase our faith in Jesus Christ and extend our hand to love and care for others. There is safety in following the word of the Lord through his prophets. God called President Thomas S. Monson, the counselors in the First Presidency, and the members of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles as prophets, seers, and revelators. In this world of increasing fear, distraction, adversity, and anger, We can look to them to see how disciples of Jesus Christ, filled with charity, look, sound, and react to issues that could be divisive. They testify of Jesus Christ and respond with charity, the pure love of Jesus Christ, whose witnesses they are. After my experience with Chloe, I searched the scripture for verses that mentioned commandments and love. I found many. His commandments are a manifestation of His love for us, and obedience to His commandments is an expression of our love for Him. I testify that as we trust God, our eternal Father, trust His Son Jesus Christ, and exercise faith in His infinite Atonement, trust the whisperings of the Spirit, and trust the counsel of living prophets, we will find our way off the edge of the road and continue safely, not just enduring, but finding joy in our journey home. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.
on a single a signal from the conductor, the congregation will stand and join the choir in singing, Rejoice, the Lord is King. We will then be pleased to hear from Elders Alan D. Haney, Kim B. Clark, and Koichi Ayagi of the Seventy. <laughs> 